0: To the Apple of Truths. I'm Vero. And I'm Lina. And since we're finished talking about Coraline the movie, it's time for the book. <laughs> but
1: before we can go into the actual book, we once again, if you listen to our Stardust episode, have to compare editions, because no surprise, we have different editions. My edition is illustrated by Chris Riddell. And each chapter starts with a more disturbing picture of a moment in that following chapter. What is your Mm -hmm. edition?
0: Well, my edition is the Bloomsbury uh, children's edition, which is the original edition, but re-released very recently for the 20th anniversary of the spine-tingling years with Coraline.
1: I have the exact same sticker thingy on my book, but mine is still a different edition, so...
0: It is wild, why ever? But uh, my edition is illustrated by Dave McKean, as it was originally. And it doesn't have a lot of extra in it. It contains a bunch of reviews. There is a dedication, obviously, and a quote by G.K. Chesterton, which I assume is a part of all of the books.
1: Because it is the base for many, many of Neil Gaiman's stories. Right. So my edition is the 2012 edition because I have the introduction to the 2012 edition. But before we go there, let's compare dedications. I assume we have the same one, which is I started this for Holly. I finished it for Maddie. Indeed it is. And without you having the introduction, I assume this does not make any sense for you.
0: Well, I know what this is but i don't have the uh, background information i don't have the full story why did it take him so long for example. There are
1: reasons. And then of course the quote by Jakey Chesterton is the one that we have I think mentioned several times already through our recording because it is fairy tales are more than true not because they tell us that dragons exist but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten.
0: So true. Seriously
1: I love this quote so much and it makes me like get emotional every single time I read it. But there's another line in the book that every time I read it it makes me tear up. And Finally, as I said, I have the 2012 edition, despite the first page of the book saying it was published in October 2013. So, whatever. I'm very confused. Versions and editions. Who cares?
0: This could have been published in 2013 and they could have added the intro from 2012. So, the page numbering
1: is also different for that, because my introduction is on page number 11 in Roman numerals. The rest of the book is in normal numbers, but this is Roman numerals. And the introduction is written by Neil himself, and he is sharing the process of how Coraline came into being. Him writing it for his first daughter, typing Caroline, but it coming out wrong. Him realizing that Coraline was someone's name who he wanted to know about. Him not having time to write anymore, them moving somewhere else, and then him realizing that if he didn't finish it, his second daughter would be too old for it. And that's why he finished it. Ah. So that is the, I started this for Holly, I finished it for Maddie. There are many, many more bits in this introduction about the movie sets, about why he wrote it for himself as well as for his daughters and how people related to it and talked to him about it. Our patrons will get the full thing as will Vero right now. But for the rest of you, with no further ado, we shall get into the biggest or most relevant differences between the movie and the book and Vero starts.
0: So I wrote down four biggest things. Everything else we can get in to when we actually talk about the book itself but first and I think most heaviest difference of those two medias is the absence of YB
1: because YB is basically the substitute for her inner voice inner monologue
0: exactly But the fact that he exists gives a lot of different agenda, I feel like, to Coraline. And she becomes a slightly different person when she has a friend or whatever you would call it. Because also in uh, the way she treats him in the film defines her character for me a lot. And because we have the absence of that in the book, it gives me a very different vibe to who she is as a person. So that's why it's number one for me.
1: Yeah. Number one for me is that the book is so much scarier than the movie. Like that for me is the main difference because the entire vibe and everything that are other differences play into the fact that the book is so much scarier.
0: Yeah. The way it's happening, the order of things is different, which to me is a very significant change because... As much as it works for the film and the visual medium, I think that it is stronger and heavier the way it is set up in the book. But does that make sense to you
1: what is in the different order
0: for example that she in the film gets back and she tells her real mom about the other mother and she has the opportunity to expand on that and build up the whole uh, yeah you know what maybe i'm gonna go back to her then if you're not gonna be a good mom to me that kind of a resentment is missing
1: i didn't put that as like different order to me it's in the book she goes over there once And after that, she already has no choice anymore to come back because she needs to rescue her parents. In the movie, she makes deliberate choices to go back again and again. So it is not a different order of things, but she has ample opportunity to correct her course in the movie. In the book, she really doesn't. Yeah, yeah. The book story makes it less her responsibility what happens. The movie is more on her. I still don't really blame her for it because she's a fucking child, but she had more chances to steer back to the right path. In the book she had no chance. Once she went through the door, she was doomed and so were her parents.
0: Yeah. And the other thing is kind of connected to each other and intertwined with the order of things. It's the passing of time and her relationship with her parents. Or rather, the parents' relationship to Coraline. I feel like in the movie, they are much more dismissive and overwhelmed by work and they're working towards a certain goal which again in a medium as movie is works really well but there's no pressing need of finishing a certain job there's no nothing abnormal about their relationship in the book there's no change
1: they are more normal negligence for her which is like the normal like grown-ups have everyday jobs and they need to deal with everyday things that to children they're simply not understandable and so it's like why don't you have time for me but obviously the parents are busy and also stuck in their everyday routines and like we have these small moments like when she rescues her parents and she hugs them and she tells her dad that sometimes she misses him and then he does the thing that he hasn't done in like a long time that he throws her up It's the whole like balance between letting your children grow up and become independent and not clutch too tightly onto them because it's also not healthy. But at the same time, don't let them run away and feel abandoned. So it's like, I mean, being a parent probably isn't very easy. Not being a parent (laughs) myself, I can only assume but in the in the book i think her parents are less likable because we cannot really make any excuses for them not paying close enough attention to her
0: yes but also they feel more normal it's more realistic even there isn't any accident there isn't any money crunch that would be visible to us the fridge is still empty though <laughs> well yeah but that that just means they might be really shitty at shopping (laughs) Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. you know it's just kind of the different vibe of like they're not renting it's their own flat they bought they bought it they own it which means that there is no such thing as we don't know if we're gonna make next month's rent or we moved here because we can't Afford the house that we used to have
1: to be fair though that was all our assumptions and interpretations that they have money problems and everything like this is not stated in the movie
0: it's not stated in the movie but it's very heavily implied <laughs> for us we made a lot of excuses for
1: the parents and I'm very curious if after we record for the book we will have made more excuses for them here as well because I didn't
0: I didn't. I didn't really care about that aspect at all. I think that there was no focus on the parents.
1: I also didn't care about the parents. That's another thing. In general, I did not really care about some characters that I cared about in the movie. And vice versa. I cared a lot more about Miss Pink and Miss Forcible in the book than I do in the movie. Because we learn more about them. We have more interactions. More personal interactions with them.
0: That's probably true. I cared much more for Coraline in the book. She is so much more likable because
1: we get to see more of her inner workings. Because she is so much more scared and she is so much braver than she is in the movie. And also she is so much smarter, which I appreciate. Like the finale in the book is fucking brilliant. So good. Yeah, and it is deliberate and planned out and I'm so proud of her. I definitely want to point out that Mr. Bobinski does not have a name in the book. Mr. Bobo! Yes. So that is curious to me. I also want to point out that the cat is just a cat in both, which is important. And I feel like the, the final difference to me is that, in my opinion, Coraline's growth in the book is more on the inside, and Coraline's growth in the movie is more on the outside. With her socializing with the neighbors, inviting the grandma, all of the effects and changes are more externalized. And in the book, everything is internalized. Because at the very end, it is about making it through the summer before you go to a new school, which is terrifying. I don't know if you ever switched schools in the middle of a school term or something, because I did. And the lead up to having to go into a completely new class of people who already know each other is not great. And so to me, this entire story is overcoming something that is so much worse. And as she says at the end, I mean, after all that, going to school the next day doesn't really seem like that much big of a deal. (laughs) So This is more of an internal growth that she can face and handle everything that life basically throws at her. So that I found very interesting. Because in a movie it is all like with the oh let's interact with the neighbors and oh they're, they're not weird they're just eccentric and everything. Which is like also nice don't get me wrong. But it is less about herself.
0: I think movie Coraline is much more of an extrovert. And I'm pretty sure it is in the book itself that she's not talking to our other people really, and that's kind of the whole reason why it would be nicer in parentheses to, for her to be uh, in the other world, in the other house, because there people would understand her without her having to talk to them. And uh, you know, I feel with her being introverted but adventurous, so uh, you know, there's a lot of lot of things that I see myself kind of align with Caroline. Book Caroline. Yeah, book Caroline. Yeah. And there is also a lot of things that I know that I would never be able to achieve or do, but we'll get to the details very very soon.
1: Because now. <laughs> Not very soon. Now. <laughs>
0: We start the book.
1: We start the book on page three, by the way, in my edition.
0: We start the book on page 11 in my edition.
1: Okay, so dear listeners, if you read my notes, my page numbers, reference, my edition.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We start with the house description and we, right off the bat, are shown that Coraline has been living in this house for a good few weeks at this point.
1: Yeah, and that is instantly the biggest difference That it takes Coraline quite a little while to discover the door It does not the, oh, I go exploring on my first day and there is the door It is the, I have lived here for a while now And now the door is in existence Because like, it literally says, I think the first line is Coraline discovered the door a little while after they moved into the house Which is like, yeah, a little while is not day one <laughs>
0: And I suppose it's because she is not really allowed to go into the drawing room. Because it's
1: only for the best. Which I don't understand that. Obviously, you and me did not grow up in fancy-pantsy households. So we did not have rooms that were not everyday use. But the whole concept of having a room that you don't use.
0: How many rooms and how much money do you have to have to actually have a room that's gonna be spare and unused
1: yeah that you don't need like that is something very unrelatable to me
0: i mean i grew up in a house that was built by my dad and i don't know if i've talked about this on the podcast before but we did have spare rooms in our house and we rented all of them to students because we were very very broke when we when i was a child So, uh, you know, that's what you do with spare rooms.
1: Spare rooms that are in use are not spare. They have different uses. But a room that is just sitting there and waiting is... Wow, that was wild to me. So this already leads to another big difference that we instantly see. The family owns part of the house instead of renting it. Which I think also is a difference between how certain countries handle things, like the whole home ownership thingy. For example, when you look at, I think, Americans, there it is very normal to be like, well, no, you want to own your property or something, right? Yeah. They are not a a renter uh, society. Germans, for many of us, it's totally normal to just rent.
0: It also... Kind of depends on what are what is a landlord situation in your country. Because, for example, in Ireland, it's also very normal to own your home because you're not really allowed to do anything to a place that you're only renting. It has to be a very specific uh, landlord and a very benevolent landlord for you to be even allowed to hang up pictures. That's frowned upon here. Good
1: to you know I have not hung up any pictures yet. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because you make holes in the walls, you know, like why would you, you know, people do it, obviously, but especially if it's not your own spot, you know you're going to have to fix it afterwards and a lot of people just don't.
1: Another big, big difference that we have in the beginning that for me is really, really important, Miss Pink and Miss Forcible live on the ground floor and not a sub. Mediterranean floor so given how old and not really mobile they are this makes a lot more sense
0: yeah I mean it also makes sense that in the movie they gave them the little ramp thingy
1: yeah but it makes a lot more sense to have them live like in the base floor not in the sub-basement which yes it looks nice in the movie but no And as I pointed out, Mr. Babinski, not named, not right away. and The
0: old man upstairs, he has a conversation with Caroline. He calls her Caroline, which is the one time where she openly reacts to this until basically the end of the book. And she corrects him.
1: She also corrects Miss Pink and Miss Forcible. Does she? Yes. The first time she goes there. Oh,
0: I missed that. Anyway, I feel like it's set at the beginning and then it's left. And they always call her Caroline. And it's not like she doesn't actually say anything, but she just moves past that or we we move past that in the book just because it's a waste of space to react to that again.
1: We start with exploring the garden and that happens the day after moving in, but she only finds the well on day three. So once again, as is usual, in the movie the entire timeline is entirely compressed and in the book we get a lot of time in between. And of course we have an overgrown tennis court in the book that is missing in the movie And so now I'm wondering if the barn that I mentioned with why do we have a separate building If that was like a better visualization for there is other falling apart things Because a tennis court would not have looked nice, you know
0: It wouldn't be very identifiable, I don't think
1: Yeah, so that makes me wonder if like basically the tennis court got turned into the barn
0: possible possible especially since we have the orchard there and everything it makes sense to have a barn there and as you said Coraline is an explorer she uh, loves to investigate and discover new things and she uh, goes through the whole process of discovering the well and we have basically the same moment that is pictured in the movie where she drops the pebbles into the knot hole in the wood and listens the sound. I love this because this, again, shows off her character because she is such a good explorer and she gets interested in all the things around her and she wants to discover all of them she will have this knowledge to then come up with the plan that she does at the, at the very end so it's just really lovely that she has knowledge and she keeps it in and she manages to utilize it at the right moment
1: also it is very telling of her character that she is being warned of the well and so she immediately seeks it out so that she can avoid it i absolutely love that as her character description Did you catch the mention of the fairy ring?
0: I did. And it's not in the same spot as the well. Yes,
1: but I find it very curious that we still have a fairy ring. Because fairy rings have power, la 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 And when I finally finish my beldam, Devils in the Detail, you will understand why I point this out so much. But yeah, it's not around the well, but it does exist. It is there. And then we go to it's the rainy day. It's two weeks in, and now we finally have a day. It rains so much, and Coraline is trapped inside. Remember how I was like, uh, "If she had any books, then she would be reading them." And if she had this, la 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 la. Here we explicitly get the information that she has books, that she is a reader, but she has read them all.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's a a bit of a Neil Gaiman insert there, because we have heard in the in an interview that he as a child would go into the local library because he's read everything that he's had at home. And if he didn't get a chance to go to the library, he would just reread the Narnia books.
1: Yes. And I love the self-inserts when it comes like that. Also, she tries to watch anything good on the telly, but there's nothing good on. I love that jab.
0: Daytime television.
1: Boo. And Coraline does try to busy herself before she starts bothering her dad which once again in the movie it comes across as if she does not even try to find anything to do with herself but instantly goes to annoy her parents and here she did her due diligence basically she tried to find something to do but there is nothing to do so i blame her much less to actually go and annoy her father
0: (laughs) Yeah, it feels like she is a little bit more used to trying to busy herself.
1: And she likes it usually when she can go outside, which I appreciate.
0: It is in her nature to go outside and be by herself.
1: She is a solitary creature.
0: Yeah, yeah. I love that about her. And she does come to her father and her dad says, count all the doors and the windows, list everything blue, mount an expedition to discover the hot water tank, and leave me alone to work. Which is basically word for word what he tells her in the film.
1: He also... Or in this scene, we also have mention of the drawing room. And I don't know about you, but I did not know what a drawing room is. Because as we said, neither of us had one growing up. And so I (laughs) looked it up. A drawing room is a room in a house where visitors may be entertained and an alternative name for a living room. The name is derived from the 16th century terms Withdrawing Room or Withdrawing Chamber which remained in use through the 17th century and made their first written appearance in 1642. So I'm pretty sure the drawing room is what you see on like Downton Abbey after having the meal, the women withdraw into another room and the men are the other, you know?
0: Yeah, I uh, knew what a drawing room was but I didn't know it's From withdraw, I always thought it was because you just go entertain the guests there. And one of the entertainment was drawing, obviously. And that's where my head was. Well, now you know. Now I know. But yes, she asked if she's allowed there. So that tells us that she is not normally at least yes <laughs> and that makes sense then that she hasn't discovered the door up until now because she wasn't allowed into the room
1: and she was busy outside so she had no reason to like sneak around inside the house she goes exploring and similar as to the movie we get the numbers for all the items that she counts which is 153 blue things 21 windows we do not get a jab about broken windows here because she's not as sassy and we get 14 doors. Fourteen. That is a lot of fucking doors.
0: Do you know what? I was gonna say the the same thing about the windows because you know what? Fourteen doors. I understand. There is, and I counted this. There's twelve doors in my current house. Twelve. But twenty-one windows.
1: Okay. There's six. There is no. Oh my god. There's eight doors in my apartment.
0: See how many windows do you have?
1: One, two, three, four, five, six. Seven,
0: eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 11, 12. Okay, tell me what do you count as a window then?
1: Everything that is framed, like every glass panel that is
0: separate. Okay, well, if that is how you count a window, then I believe that she has 21 windows. But how I count window is a hole in a wall is a window. So this entire thing next to me is not two windows, it's just one because uh, it's, It has one open door thingy. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So, another big difference where I had to make a ha 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 note in my notes is that the door, the door, is big in the book. It's not a small door that you have to crawl through. It is a big door.
0: You know what? I just realized that I was so into the idea of the big door and I like, read in the book twice over and um, reading all the interviews and stuff and, and Neil referring to the door as the door that they had in his house that I completely forgot that the movie door is tiny. Yeah, because it's the column. It's not huge. What do you mean? It's the normal size and I didn't connect it until just now.
1: And also later on when she opens it, it opens directly into a hallway. It's not the colon as we see in the movie, but it is the hallway. Yeah. So that is like really, really interesting to me. But then we get a lot of bits that are completely the same with like the explanation for the door and the locking of the door or the not locking rather. And then we go to dinner and even that is all the same. So like there are so many moments in the book That are like literally verbatim taken into the movie, which I appreciate.
0: It is really nice. The difference for me with the dinner is that... In the movie, we get to see the dinner and it is, we have agreed, it looks disgusting. It looks really, really bad. But when dad explains what it is in the book, I actually really want that.
1: Because you're not a child.
0: It's a stew. Who doesn't love a stew with targum garnish and melted cheese? No, sorry. As for a child, it sounds disgusting. Yes, but it just shows to me that it's not actually just the fact that the food is bad it's just the fact that the food is more adventurous than Coraline is willing to accept right now which is fair enough like I get that for for a 10 year old. Were you an adventurous eater as a child? I kind of ate everything like when you have two older siblings you have to eat everything otherwise you will not eat. (laughs) It's like that. And we weren't very adventurous in that sense because, as I said, we were very poor.
1: Well, that can make you more adventurous when it comes to food.
0: Well, I think that it made me really appreciate the cheap stuff. And then we had like a certain amount of... My mom had a certain amount of different meals that she would cook kind of in rotation. And I know how to make all of those or most of those anyway today. And to me, cooking any of those is very comforting but also we wouldn't be able to afford the Gruyere cheese you know that's kind of a situation but that might be also the reason why I struggle eating foreign food right now and do
1: you okay I did not know that it's
0: not just my head that I'm like oh I don't want to eat this because it looks weird that's not really the case it's more my body rejects it okay I struggle with a lot of uh, spices that are, you know, like curry spices and stuff like that. It just makes me feel sick. So uh, I generally try not to be too adventurous with my foods because I uh, have... Bad physical reactions to them. Okay. Which maybe because I'm not used to them.
1: I literally eat everything. As a child, I detested several things that my mother cooked. So for a very long period I was a ketchup pasta child.
0: Ugh. So bad and non nutritious.
1: It was so much better than the alternative. But otherwise I ate a lot of weird shit growing up because we spent every weekend at my at my father's and his wife would cook and then we like we would go out for like dinner or whatever. And so like I, I ate snails when I was growing up, for example. I ate mussels. I ate like variants of Greek food because when my mother wouldn't cook, then she would like grab something from the, the Greek place around the corner in like these super instable plastic thingies. I like once in a while my mom loves caviar, the the fish eggs. So her parents for her birthday would like gift her like a, a jar. And so of course I got to try it. Disgusting but I still got to try it and my my father was super into cheese so we would have weird cheeses like french cheeses and spanish cheeses and whatever like the the tattoo moi the the fucking monk's head like we had the, the one where you like with the you you go around in circles and you scrape like a thin layer off it and then you eat it <laughs> So I got exposed to a lot of, of weird food in that way And then of course I got the whole gross, classic, traditional Bavarian food with my grandparents With a lot of fat and everything, which I also appreciated So nowadays, whenever I travel, I will literally eat everything they put in front of me when I go to another country I don't care like sometimes my body hates me afterwards like if I eat too spicy for example my body will not be happy with me but I don't have like I I don't have to throw up or like I I don't get like cramps or anything it's just like it burns several times that's mostly the the issue or I I get the runs
0: yeah I don't get sick I get cramps and it can be so bad that I don't I'm not able to sleep So I probably should get uh, tested for some allergies and stuff or intolerance because there are the reactions that I sometimes have to different foods are very intense.
1: (laughs) I feel for you because I enjoy being able to like literally eat everything. But let's go back to Coraline and the recipes. We finish the dinner and she goes to bed and then she wakes up. And here we have one explicit moment that we never get like this in the movie. And that is how uncomfortable Coraline is with spiders. Yep. In the movie, it is only ever alluded to, but it's never stated.
0: Yeah, there's several moments like this throughout the book. And again, I feel you, baby.
1: Yeah, you relate a lot more to her in the book, right?
0: Yeah, a lot more, yeah. Which obviously means that I like her a lot more in the book. And I uh, root for her a lot more in the book than I did in the movie. So uh, we get some uh, weird noises and stuff. And we have the first interaction with the door.
1: Yeah, but that is very different.
0: So it's the middle of the night and she goes downstairs and she opens the door and the wall is still there.
1: The door is open and she's sure that she closed it. But the brick wall is still there. And so it's like, ooh, creepy, creepy, creepy. And here I want to remind our dear listeners that during the movie episodes, I have this theory that all of this is in Caroline's (laughs) mind. Yeah. I mean, funnily enough, the picture for this chapter is to the sentence, Coraline, who was standing in the doorway, cast a huge and distorted shadow on the drawing room carpet. She looked like a thin, giant woman. So, literally, when Coraline walks into the drawing room, she is casting a shadow that looks like what Beldam looks like later on. So, here, Walking in the night, yes, you have a very different picture, but walking in the night after being woken up, the seed is planted in her subconscious for everything that happens afterwards. Nope. Because she is scared of spiders and she sees her own distorted shadow and all of that mulls around in her brain and then the rest happens. So I'm only going (laughs) to say this once, but even the book supports my theory that all of this is in her mind. Nope. Come to my defense, dear listeners.
0: <laughs> no, don't. Because I don't agree with it. Thus it is wrong. Thus it is wrong. Yes. But Coraline goes back to sleep and she hears a song.
1: Oh yeah, the song of the mice, which we get a total of three times. So not only does she dream of the mice or rats singing, she also dreams a few commercials, and for some reason I found this incredibly funny. <sighs>
0: Oh, yeah, it's very cute. I kind of want to know the commercials.
1: Yeah. Question for Neil. Yes, we're definitely going to put that in the question for Neil list. And that finishes chapter one. And that is 14 pages for chapter one. We go into chapter two and we do get the fog here. But due to there being no YB, Coraline runs into Miss Spink walking the dogs, which is very cute and something that is not existing in the movie at all.
0: That is true.
1: They never walk the dogs.
0: I have a question for you. They never walk the dogs because they don't really walk. The dogs or them? No, them. (laughs) Them in the the film, they don't really. Oh my God, where do
1: the dogs pee and poop if nobody walks them. Ugh. I'm sure they
0: just open the door for them. They go out.
1: No, 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 no. The dogs are not gonna run up and down the stairs because they're also old. Ooh, that apartment must smell so bad in the movie.
0: Ooh. Okay. <laughs>
1: Moving on. You had a question.
0: Sorry. Okay. <laughs> so, this mist, this fog, or mist it is as, as it is described in the book, is very, very thick and the way it is described, it feels a little unnatural. So does the rain. I wonder is the mist to do with the door now being unlocked is this bell dam creating the mist because then the mist is in the other world as well is it the same mist probably not is the only area that is fogged around the house is this connected to the door
1: mm, because you said like the rain also seemed not that normal but The rain is way before she even finds the door. I'm like, I don't think Beldam can control the weather in this world. The
0: only reason she finds the door is because it rains so heavily.
1: Yeah, but it takes her a while to find the door. So it was simply a matter of time because at some point the weather is going to be bad.
0: Yeah, that's fair enough. Okay, the rain, I get. The mist, unnatural.
1: I don't think Beldam has the power to control the weather in any way, shape or form.
0: Okay. It's
1: not on her skill tree.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> you keep saying that. I
1: don't think so. Really, really. After running into Miss Sping, we do get an interaction with Mr. Bubinski, who I simply call Mr. Bubinski, despite him not being named that in the book. It's simply much easier for me.
0: I just call him the old man upstairs. And...
1: While we do not have the delivery of cheese packages, he does smell of weird cheeses. And we get the whole interaction with him trying to train the mice. And we do get the warning with the mice using her right name.
0: Yeah. Listen to the fucking mice, Mr. Bobo.
1: And Coraline.
0: I, (laughs) true, true. (laughs) I think it's weird that he can talk to the mice. I want to know what the story is there. Do you think he can? I think so, because why else would the mice be so on the money? How else would he mention the door? Maybe he is actually a seer and he is using the mice as a tool.
1: It's better to come across as crazy as as
0: powerful. You know what? That doesn't change the fact that this is weird and (laughs) very much unnatural to our world the way we know him. (laughs) I'm not going to say the word. There is no way I'm going to say the word. No. Uh 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 So we get the warning from the mice. Then she goes home and tries to entertain herself again.
1: And she tries drawing at the behest of her mother. And so she tries to draw the mist which does not really work. But instead she ends up with basically a modern art piece because she writes the M-I-S-T in a very interesting way and her mother even comments on that.
0: I would like to know how is that portrayed in your book because i don't know if this is the same way
1: so wait there
0: yeah okay so it's the same way as i have that it's also on the same spot in the page this is page 20 for me well 26 for me but yeah the, the formatting is the same yeah it's kind of like a uh, art nouveau piece yeah I like
1: it It reminds me of Several other stories That I could share But we already did Too many tensions If you want to hear them Become a fucking believer Please So after failing To entertain herself With drawing She goes to Annoy her dad And her dad Is super fucking helpful Because he says Learn how to tap dance Which Okay
0: (laughs) I mean It's an idea
1: Can you imagine how annoyed he would be if she actually did learn how to tap tap?
0: Tap, 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 tap,
1: It would be fucking hilarious. And since that doesn't really track with her, he sends her to the two actresses at the ground floor, Miss Spank and Miss Forcible. So we go down there now. And we have the tea leaf reading situation, but it is slightly different than what we see in the movie. Because A, it is one session of two, so... In the movie, everything is conflated into one, which is unusual. And number two, Coraline, in the beginning, is slightly alarmed by this information. And then afterwards, she feels that being in danger sounds exciting. But we at least have a moment of apprehension here. So the big difference. And of course, this is also where we get the stone we get the fucking stone And it is not hidden in a bowl of toffee together with the other items of power.
0: (laughs) Yes. It is interesting that she gets the stone before even realizing she is in danger. And it makes a lot of sense to me that she gets it before she goes over in the first place. Because this way, the stone protects her the entire time and uh, it has more powers than it did Just in the film
1: Yeah it is also made a lot more explicit That it does protect her in different kinds of ways Like when she touches it The fog of her mind is clearing And when she touches it The other mother stops touching her And stuff like that So it is much more powerful It is not just for finding the stolen hearts It is also an actual protection
0: Yeah and she also doesn't lose it
1: She not only doesn't lose it She returns it Which I
0: appreciate Exactly Yeah that's all I have for chapter to do it also feels interesting seeing uh, the characters of miss pink and miss forcible compared to the movie where they seem to be these undercover spies with items of power hidden in the fudge and stuff like that. vampire
1: warlocks is what we call them. vampire
0: warlocks while here they're just kind of eccentric old ladies which is still still really really fun and it's more real Again, a more realistic portrayal of a character than in the film. And it feels like the, the movie is doing a great job of being for kids. So all the characters are more of caricatures. While the book is very realistic when it comes to describing all the characters and stuff.
1: Which is funny, given that the story still is a very fantastical story, but every character in it seems so much more tangible.
0: Yeah, grounded.
1: Grounded, that is the word. Grounded. Mm. Yeah. Nice.
0: And as you said already, Coraline finds the aspect of danger very exciting. Which tracks with her character, very much so.
1: That is another thing. I feel like in the movie, we jump around a bit when it comes to her personality and her motivation. The book is much more coherent in how she works and how she thinks and how she acts, you know? So that is also something that I enjoy a lot more.
0: Now, in the next chapter, we go uniform shopping.
1: Which is curious because... This happens in a movie after she has gone over to the other world.
0: Here, the door, the brick
1: wall, has not even vanished yet. So the timeline is really, really curious to me.
0: Yeah, and it feels much more as a regular mother-daughter relationship to me. Coraline bothering her mom about the gloves and stuff. Which are green, by the way. Which are green. And her mom doing what any mom does at that situation goes about her business and trying to get the shit done while the child is being unreasonable so just kind of brushing it off
1: also I found it interesting because like Coraline vanishes for a moment and her mom is like where did you go and Coraline on the spot makes up the story that she was kidnapped by aliens and she managed to escape them by putting on a hat and speaking in a funny accent
0: she has a great imagination exactly and
1: once again
0: you said you were only gonna say it once
1: I still have to point this out Right?
0: Yeah, I mean, she has a great imagination, which feels more like the girl that cried wolf, if you know what I mean. Ooh, yeah, that good. She I love that she makes I like up that. stories like that, and then when something like that actually happens...
1: Ooh, yes, 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 I like nobody that. Nobody believes her. I like that. I mean, she doesn't even tell anyone about it.
0: Right, not she price. doesn't really have when. She tells the police. Well, she tries to tell the missus, but they don't listen to her either.
1: But, and she tries to tell the police, which is, like, impressive. No, but I I like the, the girl who cried wolf. It's a very good point. We finish the shopping because we don't have an accident. We go straight back home and then we have our empty fridge moment. And because we don't have the accident, we don't have the same amount of tension between the mom and Coraline. Her not tagging along seems much more temper tantrum to me. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you go shopping for food when you know that your dad always makes recipes, so you should be there to make sure there's alternatives for you in the freezer?
0: Yeah. I think that she just doesn't find it interesting enough, and she find it more fun to be at home by herself. Yeah,
1: but still, like, because we don't have any attention, this has much less motivation for me as to why she would want to stay home.
0: That's fair enough. And you're not wrong. There is no upset. Or anything like that. I mean,
1: to be fair, she is going for the key. So she obviously had the plan to stay behind and like fuck around. So that is her motivation. So yeah, but in the movie, this is one of the very few moments where I really appreciate the storytelling of the movie more. Mm-hmm. Compared to the book.
0: Well, question. So the door now is locked again.
1: Otherwise, why would she be looking for the key?
0: Exactly. Why is it locked? I don't think it gets mentioned, ever. See, I have a theory. Ooh. The mum also had a weird dream about the door, and she just felt uneasy just leaving it unlocked like that. So she decided to lock it again.
1: No, but it's a really good question, because I'm really, really sure it does not get answered why she needs the key.
0: I feel like that's a really good explanation, that the mum also feels slightly uneasy about the door, so she might as well just lock it again, you know? So... Uh, what if she also had the dream, or what if she also heard the the rats?
1: No, there's no there's no mention as to uh, the door being locked. So I want to put this on the question list for Neil. Mm-hmm. When does the door get locked? Did it get locked by the mother or someone else? And why did the mother lock it if it was the mother?
0: Well, it couldn't have been Cor- Coraline. She couldn't have locked it because she wouldn't reach for the key. Yeah, but so I
1: I still I want to put those questions like who did lock it and if it was the mom, why did she do it? Yes. So. Girlline has to climb up like on a chair and use a broom and everything. So it seems much more complicated than it was made to look in a movie that she actually has to reach the key.
0: Yes, but she's not reaching just for the one key. She's reaching for all of the, the set of all the keys. And they clearly keep them somewhere which is childproof normally.
1: Which is curious because she does not strike me as someone who would like misuse keys.
0: It makes more sense to me because then in the movie I didn't really understand why would the mom put the key, the one specific key, so far out of reach when the rest of them were just randomly in in a drawer. Somewhere, you know?
1: Made more sense, definitely. She wins the fight with chair and broom and key. And so she goes to unlock the door. And this is the first time that there is the actual corridor. It is, of course, the same situation as it is in the movie. That right now there are no grown-ups around to like witness this. But also Coraline's inner narration is described here as knowing that she's doing something wrong. Which I find very curious. She subconsciously knows that she is not supposed to be doing this and that this probably is not a good thing to do. But it is exciting.
0: So I have a theory of why the bricks are gone this time.
1: Okay, let's hear it.
0: When they unlocked the door for the first time, the something, if it was just Beldam or if there's something else in there regardless, woke up. It was in limbo for a very long time. That's a reason why there was the brick wall and everything. And by opening the door, unlocking it in the first place, it's allowed a disturbance and then uh, the spying rats came in and uh, kind of looked around and saw what's there and what's caroline's life so uh, the wall couldn't go away until the world on the other side has been mirrored into mm-hmm. caroline's image
1: i like that So basically, the first unlocking woke the presence in the hallway. Because there is something else in the hallway. It is not just Beldam, and the cat alludes to this later on. And that power that be woke up, which also, of course, affects Beldam. And so Beldam now has time to spin, literally, the new world. She creates it. And she sends out her rat spies to get all the information as to, okay, what do I need? And so she creates the house, and she creates the neighbors, because we don't even get the garden. So everything is very, very together, condensed, yes. And when it's ready, then the brick wall from our side, because the rats were already able to pass through, but now the human brick wall, basically, gets removed because now everything is ready. I like that. That is a really good theory. I am fully subscribing to that.
0: I have a lot of theories, apparently, turns out. That is totally fine. I still have my main <laughs> theory that you
1: hate. So,
0: <laughs> Because it negates everything else that I come up with.
1: That is totally fine. That is totally fine. I love being a naysayer. We enter the corridor with Coraline and right away the corridor feels familiar. And it makes sense because this is literally the hallway of her apartment just on the other side. So I actually really like that this is already part of the other apartment.
0: Yeah, and it's a human sized.
1: But there is no connecting piece in that sense, you know? Yeah. The Colin in the movie is neither here nor there. This is fully part of the other apartment. And I like this black-white separation between the two worlds. So I appreciate that. And also, of course, uh, you did realize that our boy with ice cream is not a boy with ice cream here. He is a boy with bubbles and he hangs in the hallway and not the drawing room.
0: Yep. And uh, he has eyes. Evil eyes. He has evil eyes, but I don't believe those are button eyes. And he's looking at the Bubbles like he's planning to do something very nasty indeed to them.
1: Which makes you wonder what nasty things could he do to Bubbles except popping them. Murder bubbles? Yeah, when you pop a bubble, you murder the bubble. Bubble bubble. Bubble bubble, is a bubble. fucking stupid word, I just realized. We continue through everything and then she hears, like, the noise in the kitchen and she goes there and this is where we meet the other mother for the first time. And right away, the other mother is taller and thinner than her mother. In the movie, the first time we see her, she's a perfect copy, aside from the eyes.
0: It is interesting and I'm not sure which version of this I like better because I think visually it works better when she looks the same if you are watching a movie
1: yeah she needs to look the same in in the beginning yeah
0: but it is much more menacing if Coraline realizes that there is a difference that she is a different person
1: But it should not be menacing. That is the problem. It should not be menacing if Beldam
0: is meant to succeed. The thing is, right? Think of the stone. Would she look exactly the same if she didn't have the stone? That is a really good question.
1: That is a really... Oh, we're putting this on the list. This is a fucking amazing (laughs) question. Is the reason that Coraline sees Beldam truer in her form than she is supposed to because she has the other stone.
0: And we, she doesn't have the other stone in uh, the film when she's there for the first time. Yeah.
1: Ooh, I like that. I like that. I like that. This is really good. Mm. You're on fire. Oh, this,
0: uh, I know. I don't even know how I'm doing this. Once in a while you have
1: <laughs> seriously fucking perfect <laughs> theories.
0: Thank you. I'm going to... Take it as the biggest compliment that I can.
1: (laughs) So we have the whole kitchen interaction that is basically the same. And then we go to the other father. And here the differences really start showing. Because not only does he not sit on the piano or anything, he sits on the computer. But also he seems much less benevolent towards her like he still seems softer than the other mother but the movie of a father had such a genuine love for Coraline
0: yeah he was created to love her the other father
1: in the book seems to me more incapable and that is why he keeps slipping up not because he actually loves and cares for her
0: I think that in the movie he is created to love her so he loves her While in here, he is created to be a companion, but he is speaking and he doesn't have anybody to talk to, so he just talks to her. I think he's created to be a prop, but he needs to speak
1: and that is where the problems arise. Because if he was a prop like YB in the movie that does not speak, he would not be a problem. But because he needs to speak, he is a danger that Beldam did not anticipate.
0: So there is just a different motivation behind the creation of specific characters in her play. In the fairy
1: realm makes all the difference because intention becomes action and becomes reality.
0: Hmm. So you agree that fairy world is real? I
1: mean, I will not risk offending fairies by stating <laughs> their lack of existence.
0: Especially since you live in Ireland now.
1: No, but we continue from the other father's room into more differences. We go through the dinner and everything... Completely the same, like exactly the same. But actually, I need to point out, Coraline does eat a lot more in the book.
0: <laughs> There's a lot of detail oriented towards the food that Coraline consumes in general. I
1: want all of that food. It sounds
0: so tasty. I'm so upset. I have actually a new recipe from this read. So what?: I have actually written down the omelette recipe, and I'm going to try to make it that way.: The cheese omelette. the cheese omelette. The way she makes it, I've never heard that. So I'm going to try to make that. This is something I wrote down, and I, I am salivating just thinking about it. So food obviously sounds absolutely delicious. This is very similar to how we see it in the movie. We don't get the milkshake thingy and gravy train. Boo. But that's. That's also very very visual so uh, I think that it's lovely to see that in the movie they just ran with it that played with it more with the visual side of the thing.
1: Also it fits the idea and vibe like it does not have to be exactly the same if it still works.
0: And then slight difference the other mother sends Coraline to play with the rats. Yeah, the entire
1: obsession with the rat in the book is highly disturbing. And one of the main features that make the book so much creepier than the movie.
0: I think that all the spider references were worse
1: for me, but... For you specifically, yes. But the spider is like a baseline... That is always making it uncomfortable. But the obsession of the other mother with the rats is so fucking creepy. Like, the one thing is uncomfortable the entire time. It's like everything is vibrating all the time. But you get used to it at some point. But the constant, like, the rats, the rats, the rats rats are like, go away. With their little beady red eyes. Yeah, now we know each other's Achilles heels. Oh, I don't mind rats in real life.
0: Anyway, (laughs) Caroline goes into her room and she finds differently painted room. She finds a new box of toys that she really, really loves this time. But
1: she does not like the colors of her room, which I found incredibly entertaining. Because she would not like to sleep in this room. She explicitly thinks that. She, of course, has to end up sleeping in there at some point. But in the movie, she loves everything about her room. Here she doesn't. From the beginning... This world is not as perfect as it should have been. So movie Beldam is much more capable when it comes to that than book Beldam, which makes you wonder.
0: Unless
1: it's the stone. Ha, oh, you and the fucking stone. I keep forgetting about the stone.
0: And it's something that we're going to learn about in a second, that it's the stone, because the the cat will bring it up in the next chapter. But before we get there, we have the second song, the rat song. And this one is actually creepy. It's not as bad as the third one, but this one is already a little terrifying. We have teeth and we have tails. We have tails. We have eyes. We were here before you fell. You will be here when we rise. So basically, we are watching you. We were here before you came along. And we will... Take you over. We will be here and we will rise on top of you.
1: Gross. Fucking gross.
0: It's like there is clear intention behind this song. And that is the rats will be here after you are gone.
1: I mean, yes, they probably will.
0: Yes, but there is not a normal life expectancy for a rat.
1: No, 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 no. It's not like this, this exact same rat, but rats will be here. Well, yeah, okay. It's a little less menacing to me. Humanity is gonna destroy itself and then rats are going to take over the planet. I'm pretty sure of that. The rat people! No, because like their their hands and feet are actually... They could evolute into thump usage, you know? Evolulu! But for me, the most important part is that here, the first wonder is her room with the toys and the intention of the rats being like something positive and entertaining because they do make this performance that is like impressive and la 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 la.
0: The thing is, you're watching this and it's pretty, but the words are menacing.
1: Yeah, so instead of the garden, because the whole gardening aspect is missing in the book, that was a pure movie edition. It's so pretty. Yeah, but once again, it is a visual thing, so it makes sense. And having the room as the first wonder makes it also much easier to contain everything inside the house, so... Makes sense. And I appreciate it. Good storytelling.
0: I know. I wonder. This person who wrote it, it's probably pretty good at writing, right? Yeah, I, th- I, think I think he's done it before. I feel like there may have been some sort of an award for this book. I don't know. Ah, who cares about awards? I know. Maybe we should probably read something else from, from this person.
1: No, no, I don't. I don't think we need to.
0: But this concludes chapter three. Yeah, with the rats disappearing as the rest of the chapter is. Under the... Hats of the weird man upstairs. Gross. So I
1: want to at least point out before we go into chapter four that right away the rats and Mr. Bobinski creep Coraline out, which is not the case in the movie at all.
0: Yeah, I think that she is much more perceptive here. She realizes that everything seems to be right, but it's just not just right. It's like just a little bit off.
1: I would say it's more than a little bit and she... Tracks it.
0: Noticeably off. And the fact that I have said the stone a chapter ago, it makes sense. It explains away a lot of these. On a paper, it should be great. It should be amazing. It should be really cool. Like watching a bunch of rats or mice or whatever do a great dance for you and whatever. And having this theatrical thing happening on the paper. It it should be amazing. On paper it is amazing. It's just a little off. And it is the stone. It has to be the stone.
1: Hmm. Or maybe she's just smarter and more empathetic because she has moved past the sociopathic period of growing up. <laughs>
0: Now, in the next chapter, she goes back outside. Mm
1: -hmm. Because she does not want to stay in her room.
0: Because it's ugly and she doesn't like it.
1: And it makes her uncomfortable.
0: And her other parents are waving goodbye to her. Enjoy your exploring, Coraline. We'll be here when you come back. Which is such a nice sentence
1: and it is so menacing at the same time. Gross, gross, gross.
0: But Coraline sees the words above the Miss Spink and Miss Forcible doors, but she doesn't go in yet. Because as a creature who loves exploring, she wants to see the grounds and see what's out there first. She will always choose the garden over a theater, which is something that I can't really agree on with her, but (laughs) I will give her that one.
1: (laughs) It did not have to be a perfect match between the two of you, okay? Mm, Not this time, no. And so because she goes exploring, because mostly in her heart she is an explorer, we meet the cat. And the cat is just as snarky and sassy as he is in the movie. Maybe even more so. We get the whole spiel about cats not having and not needing names. We get the disappearing act. And as you pointed out, we get the reference, smart of you to bring protection. But there is no elaboration on this. Yes. But otherwise, this is literally taken word for word to the movie. Because the scene, sorry, is fucking perfect.
0: It's really good. There's two things that I noticed in this scene where they might be slightly different or interesting to me compared to the movie. And one of them kind of makes sense because this is something that you can't really put on screen. And it reminds me a little bit of how uh, Death's voice is described when uh, we get the description of the cat's voice. Its voice sounded like the voice at the back of Coraline's head, the voice she thought words in, but a man's voice, not a girl's. Because it's just something unimaginable. But the way it's done in the film actually works out really well, even though it's slightly different. And then the second thing is that Coraline never interacted with the cat before this moment. She doesn't have a relationship with him. She uh, has never managed to create any sort of interaction.
1: There was no rapport between the two of them.
0: So there was no reason other than the cat wanting to have an interaction with her. Which tracks. Like, that's very cat. <laughs> it, is, it is very cat. It is absolutely very cat.
1: So we have the interaction with the cat. The cat does the disappearing act and fucks off and so with nothing else to do Coraline does go to the theater and here we have quite a few differences to what we see in the movie and to me the biggest difference of course is that the dogs talk
0: indeed it means that all animals I guess talk because also the rats talk Because they're singing.
1: The other world means every creature has a voice, which I appreciate.
0: Yeah. Interesting lack of YB in here. This is the moment when I realize that the lack of a friend that she has is allowing us to, first of all, talk to the dogs. But also in the movie, she can express everything that she's thinking to YB. And there's somebody to listen to her. So as you were saying earlier, because we have an inner narrator in the book, we don't really need him. However, when she has somebody to share these experiences with, the way she treats other YB, and I didn't like that in the movie at all. She treats him like a a thing, a possession, a toy that she was given, especially at the beginning, which kind of correlates with how the other mother treats her. So uh, I don't like that relationship And I'm glad that it's not in the book
1: Also Coraline in here The interaction that she has With the dog that is seated next to her Is much more friendly Than movie Coraline Probably would interact with anyone Because she is not only sharing The chocolates that she doesn't like In the end she leaves the chocolates for the dog Fully instead of keeping them for herself So it is a tiny tiny thing But I appreciate that Coraline is a much nicer creature in the book than she is in the movie.
0: Yeah, but this is moments where we get a lot of like a creepy wordings and stuff. So for example, Coraline gets invited to the stage to be a volunteer.
1: In quotation marks, like we have a volunteer. Yeah, but she gets volunteered, which is the worst version of being volunteer.
0: Yeah, but she needs to be a main act in the act because it's all about her. And Miss Spink says now Coraline what is your name
1: (laughs) which is so funny (laughs)
0: Which made me laugh out loud because it's just so perfect. And then after a the fact, they start doing the Shakespeare and, and... Yes, we get Shakespeare
1: here as well, which we have to mention because there is so many Shakespeare reference in the movie. As you said, that's a Neil thing.
0: She starts talking to the dog again and he goes, after this bit, they're going to start doing the folk dancing. And she asks, well, how long does this go on? And he replies, all the time. Forever and always. That's and the first time this sentence gets mentioned. This is not the last time. And it's gonna become creepier and creepier every time a different person says it. But I love that she just takes it as like, mm, you know what? I don't want to watch this anymore. And she just nopes out of there. Just gets up and
1: fucks up. Because later on she explicitly states this. But there is no beauty in something being forever in You having everything you want. That is not what humans want. And so her noping out of there. We are back to exactly copy between movie and book. Because she leaves there and her parents are waiting for her. Picking her up. And then of course we instantly have the we want you to stay forever.
0: Her other father says, we'd like to think that this is your home. You can stay here forever and always. Forever and always. Forever and always. Same phrasing, hence those words were specifically put into their mouths by the other mother. Who created them? And it just shows the uh, power that she has over the entire world. That she's orchestrating every single detail that is happening there. And that's so scary to me.
1: But it also shows the wrong perception that she has of what you actually want. Because forever and always is not what you want. Because forever and always is incredibly bleak and it's the whole like with the greek tragedies that the gods envy humanity their mortality because having things end gives everything a beauty that the gods cannot understand so makes you wonder if beldame is actually immortal well you know in case you
0: doubted that
1: just putting that out there we have the conversation And her other parents point out that it's not going to hurt. And Coraline, of course, is a smart child. And she knows that when a grown-up tells you that something is not going to hurt, it will hurt a lot. Which is something that as a child you learn very, very early, I feel. I don't understand why parents do that, or doctors, or whatever. Why would you tell me something is not going to hurt when you know it's going to hurt and then you know I will simply not trust you telling me something? I would have appreciated this is going to hurt for a short moment, so that I can brace myself and also I can trust what you're saying to me.
0: I feel like I've been told that much more often than this is not going to hurt. Then you had better grown-ups. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so. We got onto a beautiful tangent of more childhood trauma. I mean, surprise, surprise, (laughs) Coraline rings out all the childhood stories for Vera and me. If you want to listen to them, become a believer. I said that before. Not only do they tell her it won't hurt and she knows it will hurt a lot, we also have a very, very explicit spider moment here, which is Beldam having the hand on Coraline's shoulder and Coraline touching the stone in her pocket and then Beldam's hand scuttled off her shoulder like a frightened spider. So, number one, the visual we get from this is like, And number two, this is like one of the most explicit moments where touching the stone has an immediate effect.
0: Yep. So if you were doubting if the cat was talking about the stone earlier, now you know. And now also Coraline knows. I'm pretty sure she connected.
1: And she actually leaves here because she leaves the same way she came. She goes through the door. This is not like in the movie where she's being happily tucked into the bed and falls asleep, but rather she has to make her way back. And in the corridor, she feels that there is something very old right behind her.
0: Very old and very slow. It is so
1: fucking scary. Because like this is one of the basic fears When you feel that something is behind you And you know that when you turn around It's not gonna be there But it's still gonna be there Because it's still behind you
0: It is a moment when I wanted to know what is it But I also I don't want to know what it is
1: I'm very happy that we don't get told what it is Because if he ever decides to write another story In the Coraline universe This is perfect And also this way it gives you so much more Freedom to play around with it in your brain.
0: Yeah, it's scarier. It's scarier this way.
1: Not explaining things when it is well done is the best way to make shit scary.
0: Yeah, when you're not explaining things because you don't know what it is happening, if you don't have the answer and not explaining things, it can be a very frustrating because you want to know things. But if you're leaving things out, even though they exist, it's um, it's a lot. <laughs>
1: Gaiman is pretty much a master of not saying certain things, which I appreciate a lot. It goes like, contrary to the over-explaining thing that like especially American TV shows sometimes tend to do. Not that I don't need it sometimes. I mean, yesterday I went to a fucking comedy show and I didn't get the joke until the explanation came around and Lada made a lot of fun of me. But, Aww. I mean, that just happens once in a while. Most of the time I appreciate it if I am allowed to figure it out to myself. And so that finishes chapter four. We go back into the real world in chapter five. This is all that we have time for. This recording.
0: Oh, no. And
1: who is surprised by this? No one at this point. Unless this is the first time you ever listen to us. I'm shook. Yes. if to the core of. And so we shall end it here and hope that you tune in again in two weeks for the next part. Will it be the final part? Who knows? We don't because we haven't recorded it yet.
0: There is a lot to talk about and we never shut up. Let's put it that way. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow us on our social media. We have Blue Sky as well. So if you want some codes, y'all, you know where to find us. We have our Patreon, of course, at patreon.com slash So you can find us there and support us there. And if you're really bored,
1: please do consider writing us a lovely review on iTunes. Because it is ridiculous how much those
0: help. Bye! Bye. Bye.